1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: You're listening to a Snipper Nixon production.
2: Welcome to Are You Feeling Funny? Where top comedians talk to a Harley Street doctor about their health and well-being. I'm Alan Nixon and in today's episode you'll be hearing guest comedian Helen Lederer as you've never heard her before.
3: So I used to kind of say the same words over and over again in order to disappear from reality and get myself into another state. So I do, I'm quite interested in other states.
2: Helen Lederer will be in conversation with Harley Street specialist Dr Brian Kaplan who has a passion for comedy.
4: All comedians provide a service to people. Anyone that makes other people laugh, whether it's through a funny hat or dressing up or whatever it is, if it makes people laugh, it's having all those physiological benefits.
2: Our guest, Helen Lederer, was one of the first female stand-up comedians to perform at the comedy store in the early 1980s. She's appeared countless times on radio and television, including the show Absolutely Fabulous. Now here is Dr. Brian Kaplan in conversation with Helen Lederer.
4: So let's start off with the body, the physical. So is there anything that you would like to chat about, any funny feelings you had or where you felt funny or something happened to do with physical health, exercise, diet, anything?
3: Well, only this morning, um, very early, 7 o'clock this morning, I found myself at a, a new gym, which is always causes anxiety because you don't know where it is, so that's stressful, Um because I am so fat, Brian, today, that I decided I, I go through these phases of having to just be healthy. So I started a, a new phase. It won't last. Um, that's not funny. I'm not being amusing. Well, do you, you know
4: that's, Some It's quite interesting that I always wondered whether if you stand if you go to a gym and you stand and you're overweight and you stand in the line whether you jump the queue because they think <laughs> this is someone that'll pay their subscription but won't actually come and exercise
3: oh okay or else you clear the room because people are so appalled at what you look like no um i think it's important to keep trying and in fact i was reading some essays by uh nora efron mm-hmm. um a book that was given me and she talks about these phases. And so basically you can never reach your optimum sort of agreeable state ever. I mean, it's, a, you, you know, it's the pursuit of beauty or health is uh, the pursuit, not the actually arriving. And uh, so you can do it for a bit. And I've actually managed to lose weight through those powdered foods. And then when I did lose weight, I noticed people were quite upset with me because they didn't like me thinner. They wanted me fat.
4: Needed uh, you to be fat. They
3: needed me fat. That was what they were used to. That was comfortable. And if you're funny, yours probably helps if you're fat. And um, then when they, um, people said, no, but your head's wrong. Your head's too small. And so <laughs> my head can't have shrunk, can it? As a doctor, surely you'd verify that. But people were saying that I looked like I had a pin head. Uh, so it all looked out of kilter. So weight is quite an interesting uh, subject when it comes to humour and and particularly women and humour because fat is more agreeable and non-threatening um as a presentation of self being a female gender than them. than gorgeous and, and what is the perceived perception of beauty in this society which is highly athletic and slim
4: but going back to this way thing i remember the late comedian leela ross Um, made a joke and she said people, she was quite overweight. Mm -hmm. And she said that people said, say to her sort of politely, are you a good cook then? You must be a good cook. Mm -hmm. She says, what do do they think I do? Sauté the Mars bars?
3: (laughs) That's funny. It's a good line. But what's interesting is what you said there, Brian, is overweight. You said that quite calmly and Mm. uh, without any wincing that she was overweight. So there's an assumption already. So what is overweight?
4: It is a definition, actually, a medical definition of overweight and obese
3: yeah well i'm obese then
4: no you're not <laughs> i am no you're let's not. argue no i will argue i will exert medical authority <laughs> and tell you that you're not uh, obese i
3: just know how to dress but it's quite an interesting thing when you look back to the 80s um the comedy scene and uh dawn french mm. for a long period of time was very anti-dieting and um you know vehemently and and right you know say this is how you do it and questioned the motive of people who did die. Now, interestingly, because I'm of a similar generation and as sixty-year-olds plus, we're still pioneering what it's like to be women and our competitive selves with each other. And now she's gorgeous. And when we say gorgeous, um, less fat. So it's interesting. Can you still be funny and fat if you earned your spurs through being f-
4: yeah, funny and fat? Yeah, I wonder fat? if people expect you to be that way. But going back to what you said, what's the definition? Definition is 10% overweight is mm-hmm. overweight and tw- only over 20% over your ideal weight is maybe. Okay. So you definitely- Okay, so I pass. You can take something or fail. this. Okay.
3: You just get up in the morning and you, you just keep going and um, have the same insecurities that you've always had. Uh, I veer from being bitter to less bitter to um, potentially not bitter at all, but that's a very short phase of my life. Bitterness drives me. Um, drives
4: you, yes. You think it drives many comedians, some underlying agenda?
3: Yes. I don't think you could get a comedian... Um, being normal but then as we as you yourself know better than most you know what is normal so for instance my sister is someone who would die rather than be on stage in front of other people which is quite normal and um, is probably a lot happier than me so to expect a comedian to be normal is is kind of odd because what we're driven to do or to try and express ourselves in the way we try to express ourselves is, um, quite testing but we're driven to do it it's an urge and you can't even define it it's just there
4: yes the same thing about doctors has been said that doctors are wounded healers because of some mm-hmm. wound either in early infancy mm-hmm. or uterine or childhood or whatever uterine. we feel the need
3: to
4: pre-being born Okay, thank that you. we that we are wounded and we want to heal ourselves mm. but instead of healing ourselves we project Care- I word a onto others and look after them. And that is why perhaps Hippocrates said, Physician, heal thyself.
1: Ah,
3: that's nice. I like that. Um, I am married to a, a GP. And I know that we'd uh, say at parties or public places, we kind of got a good thing going like, he goes one way, I go another, because I'm never very good at being a couple in public anyway. And he always ends up talking to people and people just tell him, like I'm sure they do with you, Brian, Mm. their problems. Whereas I'm going, oh, please, you know, let's just have a laugh. You know, where's the free drink? I like partying. I don't, you know, I mean, it's interesting that, that people get a caring sense of you and him. Uh, because you, yeah, you, you're you there. I think it's a vocational job that you're there to heal other people. Whereas if you're funny, if you look back at your school days, you go, well, there's always one funny person in every class. In my year, there were two, but the other, uh, two fat ones, uh, the other one wasn't funny. Um, <laughs> um, but when you look back, you just know that I was that person. And and I'd, I wasn't trying to show off in a kind of um, gross way. It's just a natural position that you take in a social group.
4: Comedy and jokes and laughter is actually very good for people, perhaps at all of these levels. At a physical level, we know that the benefits have been well documented by Professor mm. Fry at Stanford University of 25 years of research. We mm-hmm. know it's good for the muscles and the lungs mm. and the endomorphins and encephalins yep. and breathing, everything. But I don't know problem, the,
3: uh, what was the word?
4: Encephalins, endorphins, encephalins. These are the natural high-making hormones okay. that we have in the body and, and, when you and take laughter antidepressants triggers it. You, they, That's more serotonin. Yeah. That that another dry. chemical there yeah, yeah this mm. is, we're getting into biochemistry um, yeah. I, we've all dabbled
3: <laughs> a bit in the antidepressant but um, I had to actually do a, a, a thing for uh, that Radio 4 program called Open Book mm-hmm. that Mariella uh, f- uh, presents but she was too busy so she wasn't there that day so I just had to pre-record it with a producer and the, the subject was to answer your question or approach it even um, was you know what is laugh out loud on the page mm. um, which is quite an interesting subject so I went to some length to actually define this and then it's very difficult reading something out that you know extracts of other funny novels that made me laugh out loud with a very sort of arid dry sensible Radio 4 producer who's going could we just cut that if we take that and you go oh my god so this is the thing about humour but going back to the spirit of that laughing as you say it's like a sneeze. It's like an emission. It, 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 or it's like an orgasm. It's actually a physical release. So sneeze, orgasm, laugh. And I think laugh is probably my fave. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have to say. Because when you've had a laugh... Yeah you know we can go for days and not laugh and nowadays people live on their own more you know that whole interaction is is reduced and i can and if i'm writing i i cannot speak to someone you know like for hours and hours and hours and then you just miss that moment of completely authentic genuine where you just relax. You're not trying to show off, you're not trying to be anything, you just connect. Somebody's connected with you and you've connected with them and it's at that level, that subliminal connection that your body releases the laugh. And it's not intellectual. It's 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 um visceral, is it? Yes. And you just go um oh my god and then you just feel better like sort of a sneeze. I mean, if you're driving and you sneeze, you still feel, you know, you shouldn't sneeze because you could crash the car. But you still feel better. It's a risk, and it? it's worth doing.
4: It is Always true sneeze. what you said about sneezing, laughing, and orgasm. Same, Just i during, thought about in, it, I mean, it a lot. The woman's body, all the muscles involved in orgasm during a sneeze is the mm-hmm. same thing. You have stumbled same. on a it's
3: involuntary you know, medical
4: truth. Yeah,
3: a medical truth. <laughs> so For we, me.
4: you're listening to Are
2: You Feeling Funny? I'm Luke Nixon. We love making the show, so if you love it too, please comment, rate, or subscribe on your podcast provider. Just sharing a link goes a long way.
4: We're wow. in the realm of, of psychological uh, stuff um, now. Um, do you laugh? I mean, do you laugh at stuff aloud yourself? Do you have that I laugh, gift yourself?
3: I laugh. I, my joy is laughing. I was always hysterical as a child because I had asthma, um, age four, uh, uh, very badly. And they gave me cortisone injections, age 10, that made me not grow tall and very fat, <laughs> wonderful, painting a wonderful childhood. I was always told not to laugh. I said, don't show off, don't laugh, because you'll probably die of an asthma attack in those days. So for me, laughing was the best thing to do because it got me into trouble. And um, I always remember the joy of hysteria. Um, And in the days like, not that one does now, but occasionally one might smoke a joint or something. Mm. Sometimes that could, in those days, make you get really hysterical. And I just think, obviously, wrong, wrong, wrong. Now and da da da. But at the time, just the joy of laughing and laughing at seemingly nothing, is is a kind of bliss. So it you're talking is about a bliss sort of
4: surrender to to yeah. what is happening. Yes. All I want to do is laugh. You have said some wonderful things about laughter because the work I do in provocative therapy is to get people to see the funny side mm-hmm. of certain voices inside them that are making them behave in crazy way. Mm-hmm and that's a bit painful for them very. to see that but when they're laughing the laughter provides a balm a sort of natural medicine for them to yes. face something underneath this is the process
3: that's quite i can understand that process but you see i have probably mocked that process because i've um done various uh things of hypnotherapy and stuff and some very kind uh, hypnotherapist has tried to make me shrink the my the bet noir and then say oh do a funny voice make it sound like donald duck and then you feel a complete tit trying to do it and i think you have to have such trust in your practitioner to make yourself look double foolish uh to to really open up and appear uh like a donald duck voice can you imagine just because mm. he you say that i should because that would cure me so i find all those I kind of always in an arrogant way think I'm a step ahead of other people and I go I'm not going to play ball I'm not going to do a Donald Duck voice because that's really stupid and you're going to get off on it and it's not going to cure me but all these techniques are, are, are quite you see I would I would sort of send them up and I shouldn't really the older I get I go no you're a very kind person and you're just trying to help people. I mean I think it's brave what you're doing and I think you would be totally reliant on the other people the other person your patient believing in you and and cooperating whereas I think the way to find humor is to see things as surreal Mm. so if you take the uh, surreal playwrights like Ionesco or Edward Albee um, I saw um Rhinoceros. Um, uh, that was Ionesco, and the reason. And I was in an Ionesco play as well called The Bald Pre Madonna mm-hmm. Mad. But m- my understanding of humour is madness is 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 just nonsense, and if you repeat nonsense enough, that will make me laugh.
4: It's about what Kierkegaard said, which is the motto of the work that I do. Mm-hmm. And that is, absurdity often signals the truth.
3: If I want to make someone laugh on stage, which is of course my dream, (laughs) my best moment, is if people have absolutely connected with me, and that could have been to do with timing, or words, or the order of words, or the pause. I don't know what else there is.
4: (laughs) Comedic pause. Yeah. Tell me, um, is the world of reality television, is that surreal? (laughs)
3: Well, I certainly wouldn't have conversations like this one in the Big Brother house, bless. Um, In the real day, in real time, there are no clocks except the one Mm -hmm. on the oven. So that is kind of Orwellian, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And... so with great excitement we'd say oh can can you go and tell us what the time is so someone would feel really purposeful and they'd have to leave go to the little clock in the kitchen come back going yeah it's one o'clock oh my god 30 minutes have passed way not bad <laughs> and so it would the challenge would be to actually process time and eat it up and i would walk round and round and round the pretend grass uh with a colleague in the house who I thought I'd been to one of the best universities in the world because he knew everything. But no, he knew uh, he was somebody who studied quizzes. So if you said anything to him, he'd probably know Kier- Kierkegaard. I've heard of Kierkegaard. I've got to go and Google it now. But he would go, yeah, he knew all the Shakespeare, knew this, that. After a while, it got really boring because I quite like to know things as well. But um, it did pass the time. So reality TV is obviously not real. Uh, it is the antithesis of real uh, for it to function.
1: You're listening to Are You Feeling Funny? I'm Olivia Nixon. We love making this show, so if you love it too, please comment, rate or subscribe on your podcast provider. Just sharing a link goes a long way.
4: How about the spiritual? Let me start off with the, the most basic question. Do you believe in God?
3: I do believe in uh, a God. A God. But, you know, that definition is as wide as the question. Would you like
4: to say of any contact you've had with any form of religious institution or gurus or spiritual practices, including meditation or anything like that, I that know sort I, of world? Okay,
3: uh, well, meditation is probably just a kind of organized way of of therapy that you um, orchestrate. Uh, I was brought up, my father uh, came over from this, from another country so he was culturally Jewish mm-hmm. Uh as often happens with that background very against he was an atheist and tried to be very liberal and say look if you want to go to church then you can but it was kind of like I'll even drive you kind of thing but we only wanted to go to meet the boys at the youth club Um, <laughs> so we were not brought up with mm-hmm. any belief in God at all and so I think often people kind of go against their background and I've always had a kind of spiritual sense. Like I sense people or I connect people with people and I know there is something else.
4: Can I ask which country that is from? The Czechoslovakia. T- right.
3: Mm. So, but I can understand the circumstance of somebody probably not choosing religion as a as a belief system, given what happened to a certain section of, of society Mm. but um but that's that's just that's that story um but my story would be I used to pray a lot um but I think it was more a kind of madness of meditation and repetition um like I used to get myself into a kind of you know like the whirling dervishes which Mm -hmm. I always find really interesting like you know when I was in Fez you go wow these people can act absolutely get themselves into a trance. Yes. And I think that that is quite a religious thing to do. So I used to kind of say the same words over and over again in order to disappear from reality and get myself into another state. So I do, I'm quite interested in other states.
4: When did you do, when did you do that? Mumbling dervish Yeah, thinking. when did you have that repetition that um, you're describing?
3: As a child, and I, I still have it, I still kind of repeat things um in my head sort of meditations and prayers and it gets me into another state uh which is kind of quite compulsive but quite comforting yeah but this um, is
4: this is um you were doing something that is an ancient tradition the repetition of a mantra it's a if you're repeating something that's a mantra and that's what a lot of um, forms of meditation are based on the repeat yeah, repetition of a mantra for example transcendental yeah. meditation and very every other type actually
3: but do you know what my word that i repeated it's quite interesting but existentialism was really hmm. so i would repeat that word is it really 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 and before you know i do it about 20 times and i'd be somewhere else
4: Isn't really? that, and so that word was, seems significant as well yeah. is it really true is it really yeah. happening is what i'm feeling yeah. really The truth of the Mm. universe. Mm. That feels profound to me. Yeah, that's weird, isn't it? Well, I'd say profound, (laughs) actually, that you stumbled on something like that all by yourself.
3: Well, I think that a lot of us have sort of an ability to what is strange anyway, but just a a sense of otherness. And uh, maybe it was the asthma as well, but, you know, just wanting to go into my head, preferring to be there and dreaming, you know, think dreaming. We used to call it think dreaming or you know imagine yeah think dreaming sort of not even like imagining that you're better you know like that sort of visualization of success and um, uh, accepting awards and all that rubbish that's never happened Um, but more (laughs) but more just think dreaming like conjuring scenarios conjuring conversations going into other landscapes it's just really easy for me to go into another place and and white noise like like when people talk to me and when my mother used to sort of say sensible things. I just like, is this your clutter? That was another thing. "Is it, Whose clutter is this? She would say. And I just like, you know, you have to take your briefcase upstairs or something after school. And you just go, oh, I just wouldn't be, I wouldn't listen. So she and my sister would talk about things, domestic things, and I'd just zone out. And
4: you wouldn't be hearing it. You'd hear No, I don't background. hear my switch
3: off. And it's bad. That's why I kind of live in another state a lot of the yeah, time. Yeah, but
4: maybe a a. Uh... Altered state, in other yeah. words, a more spiritual state, what it's we're talking spiritual about spiritual
3: on a good day, <laughs> on a bad day. You know, I forget things, I'm very scatterbrained. I find it difficult to connect and do practical things because I'm just in my head a lot of the time.
4: Fascinating. I mean, do you think there's a difference between male and female comedians in regard to this inner world that you're yeah. discussing?
3: I, I, well, I don't know what it's like from a man's point of view, but I'd say they they would have more of a go at content Um, which would be less hampered by having to justify themselves at the same time as content and it's getting more and more to be about content now but uh, my time in a lot was spent being aware that people would be making assumptions because of my gender first and that's just the way it is I mean I'm not moaning about it it's just that it was less common so people had to work out how to perceive it
4: and now there are a lot of Young female mm. comedians, come and they're all great
3: bosom buddies, which is really annoying. Annoying, yes. Because they're bloody friendly, <laughs> and, and we weren't obviously because of market forces. Like we were killing each other for the same jobs, but they apparently all go around to each other's houses and know each other's children. How and nauseating is that? tell the same sort that? of jokes. Yeah, <laughs> it's sickening. <laughs> sickening. Um, but, um, yeah, we didn't, my generation weren't able <laughs> to do that,
4: alas. So they're nauseatingly well, yeah. socially adjusted. Yeah, yeah I hate you know. them. <laughs> yeah. Tell me more about, you said Jewish. Does it have an effect on you? I mean, is it, do you feel Jewish at all? Mm,
3: um, I don't feel not Jewish, but I, mm. I have a problem on some levels of of stuff that goes, political stuff that goes on, and also I have a problem when I see racism. So I'm kind of a real hybrid. My mother came from the Isle of Wight, so not Jewish at all. So your kind of Jewish would not allow me to be Jewish. <laughs> but the uh, the people in the Finchley Synagogue, the, they would allow... The, I'm a paternalistic Jew, I think. Um, so I'm aware of it, but... I remember my grandmother who lived in Hampstead, um, she would, which was kind of upsetting. She would say to us, um, do they know that we're Jewish? Like we talk about boyfriends, like it's something to be ashamed of. Or if you come to this country from another background, it's something to process. So I think, but those are all generational things. I think now we live in a very different time. And, you know, my daughter's not a clue. Then, you know, young people aren't even interested where they, it's, it's not even a debate. They're, a lot of once history is lost uh because young people are in a new landscape with new influences and family is less significant i think as as it was in my generation and
4: god is less significant
3: yeah although my daughter is is re- went, took herself off um to do traveling and and really did that spiritual and she did that thing for 10 days where you don't speak
4: Uh, Mm, a silent retreat yeah
3: and some I didn't even know what country it was I mean I should know more and I remember talking to her and I think what the hell 10 days of being in the same position of meditating of being in a community where you don't speak and you are given food and there's I mean that is really interesting and that was she chose to do that
4: just like you chose to repeat a mantra without even knowing what a (laughs) mantra was that's (laughs)
3: madness so maybe there's something a letter of madness going on but I I but that was entirely a hard choice so I think young people some young people choose spiritualism to heal other things you know
4: yeah, but maybe it's a, not a madness it's actually an inherent connection mm-hmm. to some altered state or spiritual state that has been inherited well I think it's a va-
3: I think it could be genetic um but also young people go into different categories don't they and there is a a a group of young people who would who you know, communities, and that is normal for them. And other young people go, like people after university went, like, into banking. You know, people are just different. But she chose to uh, huh, become a bit of a hippie. <laughs> and um, then I was thinking, well, I was in a squat, wasn't I, when I was 19? So, um, yeah, it's interesting that yeah, the, the people choose belief systems, but not through their parents, just through the individual self.
4: Maybe you any, last question, any joke or anecdote, Mm -hmm. the medical anecdote that you uh, particularly like, doesn't even have to be yours.
3: I like the one on the postcard where the the nurse says to the man, just a small prick I find that quite funny
4: (laughs) with the injection (laughs) obviously
3: one needs to demonstrate the graphics sorry, I should have prefaced that, whoops
2: You've been listening to Are You Feeling Funny, a Snipper Nixon production In this episode, Dr. Brian Kaplan was talking to comedian Helen Lederer If you've enjoyed this episode, please comment, rate, or subscribe on your podcast provider. Just sharing a link goes a long way.
1: Are You Feeling Funny featured Dr. Brian Kaplan. The comedy consultant was Arnold Brown. Music and sound by Alex Hollingsworth. The producers were Luke and Alan Nixon. And this was a Snipper Nixon production. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row?